prayers, Lord, that they come in, Lord, that they would feel your presence. And if they don't know you, Lord, that they would be drawn to you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, we pray for the administration and the staff, Father, the leadership. God, we pray, God, that you anoint them, Lord. Give them wisdom and guidance. Provide for them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we lift up our missionaries to you today, God. Veteran missionaries that have been serving for years and years and years. And Lord, we pray, God, that you bless them for their faithfulness, God. Lord, God, we pray, Lord, for their health, God. Lord, that you continue, Lord God, to do miracles in their health, Father. And Lord, you see what they need, God. More than any of us, Lord, you see what they need. We pray, Lord, you provide finances, Lord God, for the medicines, Lord, the therapies that they need. And God, that you bless their ministry where they are, God, in the name of Jesus. And Father God, that they are able to finish well, Lord, in what you've called them to do. And Lord, I lift up church at Bargate to you this morning. God, I pray for a special anointing upon us, Father, as we worship you. Lord God, that you would come and you would use us, Father, where you have us, Lord. Father, your plan for us, God, oh, Lord, that it would be fulfilled. And God, we will give you all the glory and all the honor. And everyone say with me, amen and amen. Can you greet your neighbor this morning? Find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself to them as Trisha comes. church at Briargate. Good morning, friends. Let's all have a seat this morning. Um, I just want to welcome you all to church at Briargate. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time or if you have information that you need updated or if you have a prayer request or a praise that you'd like to share with us, you can do all that with the connect card that's found in the seat pocket in front of you. You can fill that out. You can drop it in the offering plate as it comes by, or you can drop it in the basket outside the church office. And I just wanted to tell you about a couple announcements that we have for you this morning. The men's top golf event that was scheduled has been canceled, but they have rescheduled have the Rocky Mount, they're going to go to the Rocky Mountain Vibes game on Friday. So if you want to be part of that, please connect with Pastor Scott or find Perry Butler and you guys, you gentlemen can be part of that. I'm sure that's going to be a great time. And then um, Donna is starting a life group. It's called Beyond the Broken Heart and it's starting on September 21st. And this is for anyone. This is for men, for women, for young people, for older people who've lost someone dear to them or who've lost a loved one or who just need to walk through walk through that valley with someone so that they have someone to go through that with. And so if you want to be part of that, you can contact Donna about that. 
Hi, Donna. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray over this morning's tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you have blessed us in so many ways. And right now we give back to you part of our financial blessing, Lord. I pray that you will take these tithes and offerings, that you'll further them for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be willing vessels to be used by you financially or in any other way, Lord God. I pray that you would just use us to further your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would hear your words this morning, God, that they would fall on soft hearts, ready to receive your word and ready to go forward and do what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and watch the screens. Hi, I'm Kara. And this is Kana. Welcome to Church at Briargate. We are excited that you are here. If this is your first time with us, please fill out a Connect card found in the back of the seats and drop it off in the offering plate or put it in the basket outside of the church office. Here are some events coming up. We will continue with Chapter 2 of our Letters to the Church book study this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Purchase your book off Amazon or other bookstores and join the discussion. It's not too late. Save the date for our water baptism service on Sunday, November 3rd at 5.30 p.m. at the Briargate YMCA. If you or your kids would like to be baptized or you would like to help with the reception after the service, please email office at cabag.org. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions about Church at Briargate, please email office at cabag.org. Also, Kana says to check out our website, churchatbriargate.org, for more information and stay connected with us on social media. Have a good week. So... When you do that, we don't listen to the person talking. We just watch the baby, right? So uh, Linda is uh, going down. So Emily's going back to school this weekend. So Linda is taking her down there. And I told her, while you're down there, why don't you figure out a way to go see the granddaughter? And uh, she didn't even hesitate. She jumped all over that. She is... She's going to go down and see the baby for a few days, and, and um, once again, I don't get to go. She gets to go, but I don't get to go. I just wanted to share that with you. So <clears throat> um, we've got some uh, Indian pictures that we want to look at here. This is the, uh, the roof is going on. Uh, they're pouring that this, um, uh, actually they've been pouring it last week. Uh, I did want to mention the guy in the background with the white shirt. His name is Iqbal. He is the guy that takes care of us when we're over there. He is a, um, he just a do-it-all kind of guy. He just takes care of things. In fact, w one day when we were there, um, we had to be up at like four in the morning to get to the airport to go to our next part of our, our journey kind of thing. And, and my, my belt buckle broke, and um, I don't know why. But uh, my belt buckle broke, and um, but like at 9 o'clock at night, he says, well, give me that. He takes my belt, my belt buckle, and at 4 the next morning, he was staying there with another belt buckle for my belt. So that's, that's the stuff he does for us while we're there. Ne next picture. 
<clears throat> this is the cement being brought in. You can see if you've, if you've seen some of our videos and pictures of the inside of the down uh, stairs of this. And, and this is just kind of a, a little thing that lets you know they carry all of this. In fact, there's the, the truck would have stopped at the road, uh, the main road, the asphalt road, that's probably half a mile from um, the house, maybe between a quarter and a half a mile. And they would have carried every one of these. Um, up to the house and then stacked them and, and that's just um, it's just how they do that. So next picture. <clears throat> There's your truck. There's the uh, the unloading point, and uh, and they'll have to haul that all down the road. They'll put some of it on the cart, but those little carts right there, the little bicycle cart, it'll be used for more important things like um, rebar. So uh, next picture. This is, I wanted to show this picture to you just because of um, things that you may not see. Uh, so this is standing at the front door of the house. The front door kind of comes out and, and comes off the side uh, of, the, of an area sticking out. So this is the front door, and that's the front gate. That's the gate we built the wall all the way around, and then that's the gate where you have to come in and out of. This is a very secure compound. It's just why I'm uh, showing you this. Okay, next picture. These are Bibles and tracts that uh, Iqbal, the guy that I showed you earlier, he brings those from Calcutta to the, the guys there in Ramperhut. They can't really get those in Ramperhut. I guess he could kind of get them shipped to them or something, but it'd be a much more difficult. So anytime Iqbal's coming that way, he brings a bunch of Bibles, tracts, things like that. And, um, and these are in um, their native language there. Uh, Bengali, which is which our pastors don't speak Bengali. Our two pastors, they speak a little bit of it, but they're learning it. And every week they'll tell me, okay, we're doing this, we're learning this, we, we, uh, we can talk better with the kids here. And in fact, I talked to them, that's mostly what we talked about last week when I talked to them, was how are they doing speaking Bengali. And, and um, our builder was there sitting beside him, and he's from that area. And so I was asking him, how are they speaking Bengali? Not how are they saying they're speaking Bengali, but how do you think? And he, he just laughed a bunch, so I don't think that's a good sign. <clears throat> uh, next picture. And so here's the rebar, and this is the same way. They'll, they'll load it up on these little carts and bring it out. And, and uh, you know, it's just a different culture. It's just a different context. They don't have you know, all these big semis that are hauling stuff around and doing all that kind of stuff. A lot more manual labor involved with everything. And uh, one more picture, I think. Is that it? That's it. Okay, just keeping you updated, letting you know. It's, um, it's exciting to see this stuff, and it's exciting to talk to the guys uh, when they're doing all this and the, the ministry. They're, they also email me. I think I mentioned this last week. They also email me every week, and they tell me all this stuff ministry-wise. When they send me pictures and things, although I did get some videos of some of the classes that they're teaching to the kids and some of those kind of things, they are helping a bunch of kids learn English, and that's the, that's the reason we're using uh, they teach them English, and then they teach them English by reading the Bible and singing Bible songs. And so then they'll video the kids singing Bible songs and uh, send those to us. So it's just, it's just always exciting. It's, it's interesting what they're doing, how they're doing it. Uh, I did um, talk with, I know we've been praying about this, so this would be good for you to, to know. Santosh is, is going to get his wife here in a couple weeks, and uh, his son, uh, Ruby and Devaj, and he's bringing them to... Uh, Ramper Hut, and we've been praying a lot about that. There's a there's a lot of cultural things that are keeping that from happening, but um, he basically has just resigned himself to the fact this is what he's going to do, and so he's bringing them here. And Josiah should be back uh, next week with 
his wife. And so they'll all be there together, and they'll be there in plenty of time for uh, Jerry, Luann, Nur, and Susan to get over there in, in another couple months. And so it just, it, it, sometimes you feel like you're, you're, you're fighting a much bigger battle than you recognize when it starts, which is a nice segue into what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. Uh, this is, I'm going to be looking at the, these next four weeks, I'm going to look at spiritual warfare. I'm, I'm going to kind of help us to process some things like this. And uh, not this week, I'm just going to kind of do an introduction this week. But then the next three weeks, I want to uh, look at how, how we deal with spiritual warfare in, in specific issues. In other words, the, the next few weeks will be spiritual warfare within the family context. What does that look like? Um, and then some practical things of what we can do there. And then uh, spiritual warfare within the, um, the concept of the, the, the government. And, and I don't want to go into too much of this right now, but just the, the, more than what you think there and how that looks and spiritual warfare involved, what it looks like coming from and then going to government. And then uh, the last one we're going to look at is spiritual warfare within the world and how does that involve us, the, literally the whole planet. And how does that involve us? Because there's actually a lot more scripture about that context than even individual spiritual warfare, the, the bigger picture kind of thing that um, God is showing us constantly. And so I want to kind of use this this morning as an introduction. And also, I, I think more than an introduction, I don't, it's an introduction to this series, but for most of us in here, it's not going to be an introduction to, oh, there's spiritual warfare. It's, it's more going to be a reminder saying, this is something that we really need to focus on. Uh, th- this is something I've noticed over the years is, is um, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we, we usually approach it like the opposite. Like if it's a coin, and we flip a coin, and it lands on heads, we, we approach it tails. And then if we flip the coin again, and it, it lands on tails, we say heads. And that's kind of how my perception of how the church interacts with spiritual warfare happens. So, so what I mean by that is there is spiritual warfare going on constantly. There, there, is, there is the... Uh, spiritual entities, and we're going to look at that scripture here in just a second. There is spiritual stuff going on around us all the time. This world is more spiritual than it is physical. But we, we struggle with that. We struggle keeping our focus on that, keeping our mind on it. And it's natural because we're humans. We're physical. We're limited to time and space. And spiritual warfare is not limited to time and space. Uh, there is such a thing as as angels. There is such a thing as demons. There is such a thing as Satan. There is, there is a, a constant battle going on. And we, I think oftentimes as a church, we get um, lazy about that. We don't, just, we don't keep it in focus. And so it's not that big of a deal. So we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We don't think about it. We don't process when we're going through stuff that this is a battle that's involved. And, and so that's the part where we kind of uh, take it off the table. And then the other side that I've seen is then we, we have all these small, insignificant things, while they may be part of the mix. That I don't believe that there's anything that's not part of a mix somehow spiritually, and, and I don't believe in coincidence and stuff like that. But what we do is we focus on the, 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 the non-stuff, and we, put, we, we don't focus on the important stuff. In other words, we get a flat tire, and, and that is the biggest spiritual battle, and we're we're rebuking Satan, and Satan is trying to attack us and doing all this other kind of stuff. And can Satan do something like that? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, there's also the possibility he ran over a nail. And so the, that we, we focus all of this stuff, and this is the battle. And, and I've heard people standing around talk about this, that, man, I got a flat tire. Satan is just attacking me, and I'm not going to. And I'm thinking to myself, 
you, that's not the battle. You're looking at a tiny little thing over here and focusing on all this, but then the rest of our lives, our, our spiritual existence is nonplus. It doesn't, it's like it doesn't exist. Satan is constantly trying to attack us. He's constantly trying to attack our marriages, our family, our children, grandchildren. He's constantly trying to attack our spiritual walk because everything is spiritual. Everything has spiritual significance to it. And at the end of the day, he's trying to destroy you and your walk with the Lord. He's trying to destroy the way you look at God, the way you look at yourself, the way you look at this planet. And we're spending all of our spiritual energy on a flat tire. You understand the, the balance of what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying the flat tire can't be a part of it. I, I know Satan does stuff like that. I know he does, okay. But, but there needs to be a bigger picture kind of thinking. Every single second of every day, whether we're asleep or awake, Satan is, as Scripture says, uh, prowling around looking on who to attack. Constantly constantly looking who can i attack how can i mess up this how can i now again it's not that that um satan hates you okay this is this is an important thing uh, about this i i think you have to put some balance in here i don't believe um and and this could be argued a little bit in a lot of different ways uh, legitimately but i don't believe that satan knows our names okay now I, i get that from a scripture where, where the demons literally say, I don't know your name. I don't know who you are. He says, Paul, I know who Paul is. I know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you are. Now, why is that important? Because I don't think that most of human, humanity rates high enough on the spiritual warfare place. I don't think most of humanity rates high enough for Satan to know you individually. And here's the biggest reason. Satan doesn't care about you individually. Satan could care less, couldn't care less about any human there is. The point that Satan is attacking is anything that has to do with God. Satan hates God. Satan is too selfish, too self-focused to care about us. Now, I do believe that there are people that do come into the viewfinder. The reason we know that is because um, the, the demon said, we do know Paul. There are some people that get, get into the viewfinder of, of Satan, okay? But for the most part, Satan is too self-absorbed to care about human beings. He has demons, he has, he has layers, uh, military ranks, layers that take care of the stuff, right? I do believe that uh, Scripture shows us that there is such a thing as a um, guardian angel, I've had people talk about that before. There's no such thing as guardian. There's too much scripture that, that backs up that there are angels attached to us, that there are protectors that are, that are attached to us, all this kind of stuff. But I also believe that Satan does the exact same thing. He attaches people to your existence and says, destroy them. John 10, steal, kill, and destroy. That's her job description. He says, you're, you're attached to this person. Go at it, whatever it takes. Um, I've mentioned this before. I really believe that one of the best books ever written about this is a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. You should, you should get that book. Very educational. It's a fictional story uh, about this, but um, C.S. Lewis, one of the, the greatest theological minds of all time, 
he, he just does a really good job of explaining spiritual warfare throughout the book. But the, uh, Satan attaches, like we have guardian angels that God gives us, Satan attaches demonic influences in our life to mess with us. The goal is to destroy you, not because Satan cares about you, but because he hates God so much, and you were created in the image of God. You look like God. In, in every way possible, you look like God. Now, you're not God, so you don't rank high enough to, for Satan to care about you individually. But he hates you, and when you serve God, he hates you more because you not only are creating the image of God, you are stepping into what God has designed you to be. And Satan is going to always be messing with you about that. Always be messing with you. Now, why, why am I saying that? I'm not trying to, to scare us or anything, but I think the church, specifically America, I've talked about this a lot. <clears throat> I, I do a whole thing when we're when we're doing the journey at my house, I, I do a whole part where we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and how America has become so sanitized, so, so, um, so clinical in our Christianity. We've taken the spirituality out. We've, we've pushed a lot of spirituality out of Christianity. Now, when you say that to Americans that have never been outside the country and don't understand this kind of stuff, they get offended. Christians in, in American churches, well, you're saying we're not spiritually whatever, we're not as mature, we're not what? Okay, no, what I'm saying is there's a lot more that goes on, and you can read about it in Scripture, but we don't see it in the American church. So if we don't see it in the American church, but you do see it in Scripture, and, by the way, you see it almost everywhere else around the planet, then something is different about the American church. We're different. We are very different than the church around the world for the most part. We have been so cleaned up and so anti-spiritualized that we don't see certain things and we don't recognize certain things. We don't recognize when Satan is attacking us. You could, you could just go, just, just do this in society that when you get an afternoon where you're bored. Just walk down to the mall and ask people, do you believe that there's, do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in demons? Do you believe that people can be demon-possessed? Do you believe that that's a possibility? Do you believe that Satan can bring sickness and disease upon people? Just go down a list of things that are mentioned in Scripture. Just, just go down a list of them. Then go to the average Christian in any church sitting in uh, America, just in Colorado Springs, and ask them, when's the last time you cast a demon out, or when's the last time you saw a demon cast out? When's the last time that you walked in the supernatural, you saw healing happen by, by your prayer or by somebody else's prayer? You saw this stuff, because that's what Scripture says is going to be happening every time, all the time, when we present the gospel. These signs will follow. But that doesn't exist in the American church for the most part. Why? Because we've taken spirituality off the table. Why have we done that? Because we are comfortable. We've been lazied down to the point where we are comfortable with our Christianity with no spirituality. Which, by the way, Scripture says in the last days the church will have a form of godliness, but it won't have the power there won't be the power of God. What does the power of God do? Heal, set people free, uh, cast out demons, speak in other tongues, gifts of the Spirit. All that. There won't be the power, but you'll have the Christianity. You'll have the stuff, but you won't have the power. And here's the saddest part to me about this whole thing. 
is the American church, for the most part, is comfortable with that. We're all right with it. Okay. You know, as long as I can kind of do my thing, you do your thing, we feel good, we worship a little bit, we have to, but there's not power. I remember this <clears throat> years ago. I was a youth pastor in a, in a church, and we had had... Um, We'd had this speaker come in and speak, and this, this church, we saw a lot of healings. We saw healings all the time. Our, our pastor was, was an amazing man of God. This is, anytime I say this, by the way, this is an indictment upon me, if you listen to what I'm saying. Our pastor at that time prayed for hours every day, and when we had church, we saw supernatural things every week. Every week. We had this guest speaker come in one time, and he was talking. He was much older. He was in his 70s. This was in the early 90s. He was in his 70s at that time. And, um, and he was explaining to us that, that um, when he was a, a kid, that his sister got hurt, and she was going to die. There was a, they were on the farm, there was an accident, and, and, he, and he said, um, my parents, my dad picked my sister up, brought her in the house, and set her on the family altar, and we began to pray. And the end result is God healed his sister, supernaturally healed his sister, and she got up from, she was, she was about to die. She was dying when they brought her in there. And, and he explained that, that um, she, God completely healed her right there. The thing that stuck in my head the most with that is when he said, we set my sister down on the family altar. I thought to myself, what is that? What does that look like? What does a family altar? What does a family altar look like? Is it a, is it a piece of wood? I mean, obviously, it was big enough she could be laid down on it. I literally don't know. I don't know the answer, by the way. I'm not being patronizing. I really don't know the answer. But what I do know is that God supernaturally healed her because that family had a mindset that most of us don't have. That's the the concept. It's not, you know, does God heal or whatever. It's the fact that they had a mindset. Now, here was what the mindset was birthed out of. Complete necessity. They couldn't pick her up and uh, run across town to the hospital. They couldn't call 911 and the ambulance come pick her up. That wasn't a possibility. So they had one option. If this girl is going to live, we've got to pray. We've got to see that this is a spiritual battle that we will fight through. So let's go to the place, and this is where it's different. Let's go to the place that this family fights spiritually all the time. Let's go to the altar. Let's go to the family altar. And let's set this girl down on the family altar and let's begin to fight. And we're fighting for her. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Listen to this again. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You make the assessment. I've already made the assessment. Obviously, you can tell. But you make the assessment. Is that what American church is built upon? The Lord's power. Not knowledge of the Lord. Not church services about the Lord. Not Bible studies about the Lord. But His 
power. Is it built on His power? Because He's saying here, our responsibility is to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Where, now you assess this in your own existence, where in our lives, where in your life, is the power of God? Where is the power of God? Where is it being manifested? Where do you see it? Where, where do you understand it to be? What are some things that you can look back on, let's say in the last month, in the last six months, and say this is when God's power completely transformed a moment? Okay. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this to negate anything that would, that would fall into this category. Okay? I believe these are legitimate. Some things look like coincidence, but it's God doing it. Okay? Let's take those off the table for a moment. I believe those are legitimate. I'm not, I'm not undermining them. But I'm saying moments when you know there's no doubt that this was a supernatural power moment from God in your life. Analyze that. When, when can you, not like, well, I think maybe God could have done, I believe God's actually doing a lot more of that stuff than we, than we give God credit for. But I'm saying the, the power kind of moments that we see in the New Testament, the power kind of moments that we saw all the time in the church's existence, where are those power moments? I, I, I've seen those a lot over time. I've seen a lot of these kind of things. In fact, just recently I had an, a, a moment, I may explain it in the next few months, I had a moment where God supernaturally interceded, uh, uh, broke through the situation, and did something supernatural that could not be, well, that might have been God. It was definitely a power moment. By the way, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't even praying for it. But this power moment, when, when can you look at recently at power moment? This is, this is what my father-in-law calls a power encounter. Holy Spirit supernaturally breaks through the moment, does something. We're supposed to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. And then he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's what we're fighting against. Look at it again. We're fighting against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen war world, mighty powers in this dark world, it, the, the, he, Paul is not confused with this world being light. See, I believe that's one of the problems we struggle in American church is we believe that the world is mostly light with some dark. Mostly light. It's not, this isn't a really a dark place. It's mostly light. And then every now and then there's these places, you know, like these horrible um, meth dens. Those are dark places. Right? Paul says... In this dark world. This is one of the major things verbally, visually, spiritually, cognitively understanding that the church around the rest of the world in America have exactly the opposite. You talk to people around the rest of the world and they can explain to you very simply, very quickly how dark the world is. They know it firsthand. We've convinced ourselves in America because we've cleaned so many other things up and everything looks nice. I was thinking about this the other day because I saw a picture of the, of the uh, FBI building and how clean and pristine it was. And in my head, I thought to myself, inside those doors is one of the most corrupt institutions we have on our, in our country right now today. 
You understand what I'm saying? But on the outside, it looked clean. It looked crisp. It looked pristine. It looked great. And that's what we struggle with in America. As long as everything is clean and crisp and pristine, or however we visualize that, then it's okay. It's okay. I, I just recently came across a guy in our city here that was, was um, very drunk and, and manifesting spiritual stuff. Very, very visually manifesting spiritual stuff. And he's around all these people, and people just get out of the way and look at him and go, well, that guy's crazy, or that guy's drunk. Or whatever. And I thought to myself, does not anybody notice that there's a spiritual thing going on here? I didn't have the liberty to do something or what. I, not explaining it, but I thought, does, not, does anybody not care? They'll just give you more medicine. They just, they just hand him more drugs or, or put him in a place where he won't hurt himself. And it was obvious. It was very obvious that this was spiritual way more than it was mental. But we've, we've pushed that off to the side. We're doing exactly the opposite. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Except that's the way we operate in America. That's the way we operate every day is we're fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against these, these people, these circumstances. Even when we're looking at all the stuff going through our country right now. <clears throat> I was thinking about this with the... Um, I was listening to talk radio this week, and I was thinking about the, the, um, the New Jersey governor that, that is saying, now let's have uh, abortions after birth. You know, that I don't know how you can use that term. after It's, it's murder anytime, but it's definitely murder after birth. You can't even use the term abortion. That, that, if you're going to use that term, then you can use it on me. You can abort me. Why? Because I've been born. And I'm sitting there thinking, and this, this talk show was talking about it, and they were talking about the, the, um, the governmental things, the policy things, the legal things, the physical things, the science things, all this kind of stuff. And nobody ever mentioned the spiritual thing, which is the biggest here. Satan is, is literally, his fingers are dripping with the blood of babies. And he loves it. He... he he gorges himself on this, and he loves it. That's the biggest issue here. The biggest issue in our country with abortion is that Satan is controlling us. He's playing us. He's manipulating us. His murderous, evil, dark intent, and we're just buying into it, going along with it, and we're trying to figure out the medical science answer. Or we're trying to figure out the word. And I know this is one of the places where the church in America hasn't completely lost uh, the, the reality of it. I, I believe the church in America knows that this is a spiritual thing first. I hope. I believe, it. I believe we do. But our country doesn't. We don't see it. We don't even understand it. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So when we look at that, we go, okay, that's not a flesh and blood issue. But then we have a confrontation with somebody at work, and immediately it's us and them. It's a people thing. Immediately it becomes a people thing. Except that he says, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. The battle you wage every day is not against flesh and blood. This is where I'm talking about a, the flat tire thing. Satan is attacking every single human. He's attacking the person that's, that you're having a problem with. He's attacking you with how you respond to it. He's doing all of this to cause dissension, lack of peace, lack of everything. Why? What's the, what's the ultimate intent? Satan is trying to attack God. Now, you would ask, okay, well, but if there's this issue between me and my coworker, how is that attacking God? 
There's lots of ways. There's the, there's the lower level ways that aren't as important. Um, he's just causing a lack of peace, lack of joy. He's causing dissension. He's causing problems like that. But here's the bigger issue is you cannot glorify God in that setting. That's the biggest issue. And you cannot witness to that person in that setting. You won't. This, this is, this is, I know these sounds like s- simple little things, but I believe that even Satan causes our anger, like we're, we're, like we're driving to work and we get angry in traffic. I believe Satan manipulates us. Why? The, re- the end result is because he doesn't want you to be glorifying God when you get to work. He doesn't want you to be verbalizing who Jesus is and being able to witness. So he's going to keep you just a little bit off balance, just a little bit off balance, enough off balance constantly where there is an attack that is being successful, being carried out constantly. The, 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 we're, we're losing the war in the process. Because why? We've, we've lost sight of the fact that we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. This isn't between me and another person. It, it is so strong sometimes how that is, though. Right? When, when your next-door neighbor does something and you're mad at your neighbor, boy, it's just a... It's just, I read just a couple months ago where this guy uh, climbed over the fence to beat up his neighbor or whatever the case is. They got in a big fight over something. Climbs over the fence and, uh, and attacks his neighbor, does all that stuff. As he's climbed back over, his neighbor goes in and gets a gun and shoots him. And then he was trying to claim defense law. Shot him in the back as he's going over the fence. Like, I don't know if that's a self-defense issue at that point. I get it, he's in your yard it, it's weird how, how, can, how can two neighbors get to that point? Now, some of you are in here and saying, I can tell you. Let me give you a moment. I get that. I, I've been there, not, not in a long time, but I've been there. The, the reason I haven't been in there a long time is because I refuse. I don't care what my neighbor does to me. I do not care what my neighbor does to me. I'm going to do the best I can to treat them like Jesus would treat them. I don't care what they do. And I could give you examples right now of things that you would be irritated about. But I don't care. I'm going to try to reach them. That's why it would never, ever escalate to something like that. I'll give you an example. We were sitting there the other day. We have this this neighbor. I I really like my neighbor. He's a good guy. But his dogs are weird. They're violent. They're crazy. And uh, and they just all the time. Some of you have been at the house. You know what I'm talking about. It's scary. It's frightening. Well, we're sitting there the other day, and um, I, I turn around, and Linda turns and looks at me. I'm sitting in the kitchen. She turns around and looks at the, the door going out to the deck, and she says, a dog, and our neighbor's dog was standing, that violent dog was standing in our kitchen, right behind me, just standing there looking at us. Now, here's the thing. I don't have gates. He didn't open a gate. We learned that day, that dog climbs fences, and he's very good at it. The good thing is, is of the two dogs, the other one was the violent one, and he's not. We didn't know that. We, we just thought they both were, but he was actually nice. So we had a good opportunity to talk to our neighbor. Now, I, I, I said that, and um, my, somebody said in my life said, well, you should have just taken care of that dog right there, just shot it or something like that. I'm like, what? It's a dog. Now, if it would have growled at me, he's gone. He's gone. Boom. Done. Lead poisoning. But I, 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 this is the thing is, this would be a great opportunity to talk to my neighbor, right? Because I'm not fighting against my neighbor. I'm not fighting against this dog. 
I, I really believe, and I'm not trying to overstate this, I believe Satan wants to keep me enough off balance that maybe I don't talk to my neighbor about Jesus. But he needs Jesus, and he's a good guy, but he needs Jesus. Guys, we've got to keep that balance. It's not easy. It is not easy to do this. We're not fighting against people. Look at this again. We're fighting against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world. Those are all around us all the time. And I, I said this years ago, and I had somebody really get upset about it. That, that is happening right here. There are, there are evil things going on right now in this room. <gasps> not in a church. They stop at the door. Really? Do you really think all the demons are sitting outside the door waiting on us to come back out? Do we really think that? What about our guardian angel? Are they just automatically allowed in? Well, here's another one. If that's the case, then if you go into a bar, does your guardian angel have to stay outside? I, I hear some of the weirdest things from Christians sometimes. Evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, here's the deal is, which one, do you let you, let you, which one of them do you let be involved in your life? That's the key. That's all around all the time. Satan is constantly messing with everybody all the time. But what do you let be in charge? What do you let have authority? What do you let guide your life? What do you let lead your life? In every single way, what do you let lead your life in your mind, in your physical body, sexually, uh, financially? What do you let take the, the, the reins and lead your life? Because it's all around all the time, constantly. What do you let lead your life? I want to show you a little video clip. I saw this movie years, years ago. And uh, it stuck in my head. This moment stuck in my head. And I, and I think about this a lot over the years. I've thought about this a lot because of the mindset. There is a mindset that has to happen here. Now, this is, this is the, uh, the uh, story of, um, of uh, Elliot Ness fighting the, um, oh, my brain just stopped, the mafia. And this is the moment when he has to decide, what, what am I willing to do? What am I do how, how much do I want this? Let's, let's look at this. You said you wanted to know how to get Capone. Do you really want to get him? You see what I'm saying? What are you prepared to do? Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Now, do you want to do that? Are you ready to do that? I'm making you a deal. Do you want this deal? I have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal, and I will do so. Well, the Lord hates a coward. Do you know what a blood oath is, Mr. Ness? Yes. Good. Because you just took one. Man, he looks young there, doesn't he? 
I, I've thought about this a lot, thinking, this is one of the examples I usually use with this. We will let Satan pick on us and pick on our family in, in ways that we wouldn't let anything else or anybody else. We let Satan attack us, and we would never let anybody else do that. The, 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 the mental picture I always use is if, if you're sitting in your living room watching TV in the evening and somebody kicks your door open and comes in and starts to, I'm saying this as a man, right? Starts to drag your wife and your daughter off. You're going to fight. I would assume. I would hope. You're going to fight. And you're going to use everything at your disposal to fight at that moment. But Satan will literally just turn the knob and just walk in our house and pilfer around, mess with our kids, mess with our wife. And we just let him. We don't fight. Partly because we've convinced ourselves it's, it's not that big of a deal. Although the flat tire, well, we'll fight that one out on the side of the road and, and curse Satan every single way we can possibly do that. But when... Satan is really trying to take our soul, really trying to take our family, really trying to take our eternity, really trying to take the physicalness of who we are, our finances, or whatever the case is. We don't fight. We don't do anything about it. We just let him. And, and he can derail what God is trying to do in our life. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do something about it, maybe. I was thinking of this with um, uh, Jim sitting in the hospital. I was up there talking to him, and he was talking about how people pray and things, things like that. And I was thinking about people praying, and, um, and that kind of consumed my thoughts through the rest of the afternoon. People praying, and, and if I was in Jim's place, how would I want people to pray? Because there was, there was two or three times maybe that he was facing death, that, that he could have died at that moment. And, um, and I was thinking to myself, how do I want people to pray? Because Jim was talking about uh, people verbalizing what they're praying about and things like that, and I thought those were good ideas. So I'm thinking to myself, how would I personally want somebody to pray for me? And, and, it, and it came back to that picture, taking the, the, the daughter in and setting her on the, the family altar. I would want somebody to say, there's nothing else more important right now than you. There's nothing else more important than your physicalness, than your healing, or, or whatever. There's nothing else more important. And then, I th then, of course, that began to convict me. How often do I think like that and pray like that? How often do I really intercede and fight it out? Or do I pray a prayer? And this is, I'm not, I'm not picking on us with this. I believe that a lot of people were praying for Jim, and anytime we send a need out, I believe you're praying. I'm not, I'm not thinking that you're not. I think we're praying, but I, it was convicting for me, and so I want to share the love, is do we really intercede? When we find out somebody's child is sick or in the hospital, do we pray to the point where it was like our own child? You, you understand what I'm saying? And to some extent, that's not, you know, that, it's not, that's not real possible. Because it's not our child. But at some point, don't we fight? L look at how he goes on here in Ephesians 6. Therefore, since we're not fighting against flesh and blood, since this is a spiritual fight, therefore, 
Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you will still be standing firm. That's a, that's a great sentence. After the battle. So here's the question. Are we fighting battles? Are we, are we going there? Are we fighting this stuff out? After the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. That, that really is a very constant through this whole thing. That's a consistent theme through this whole set of Scripture. Standing, standing, standing. In fact, if you look at the stuff we're about to, to, to read through the armor, most of this stuff is a... Um, is a, uh, a passive standing your ground kind of mentality. It's not a, there's not a lot of attack that's mentioned except for one thing, which is God's word. You only attack with God's word. You don't attack with other things because other things are not used to attack. They're, they're your covering. They're your protection. The only thing that we see to attack with is God's word. Look how he says this. Putting on the belt of truth. Truth is, is an armor. It's, it's, it's not an attacking, attacking, offensive attacking kind of thing. Although truth can be used offensively, right? You can, you can speak truth to Satan when he's trying to mess with you. Remember 2 Corinthians 10 says that Satan is trying to attack your knowledge of God, the way you think about God. Well, truth will combat that. God's truth will combat what Satan is trying to tell you to think. This is, this is, I believe, the number one reason why our country is where it is right now. is because we are voluntarily resisting truth. We are intentionally resisting truth. And then when you begin to resist truth, you will start allowing yourself to believe about whatever happens. My, my daughter and I, and I had this conversation um, yesterday. And we were talking about uh, different contexts, people, circumstances, and there was, there was two other people that were talking with us about this, uh, about like coworkers and things where they're a guy identifying as a girl or a girl identifying as a guy, whatever the case is. And uh, they were talking about, well, they make a mistake and they call her her instead of calling her him. And then the him, her, gets upset over this because you didn't call me him, but I'm a her. And I said, this is, I want you to think about this for a second. This is the craziest part about this is you are actually speaking Truth. You're speaking truth. But that's not okay. Do you understand where our country has come to? When you say the right thing, the truthful thing, you're the wrong one. That's, that's off. That, we, our country, and I know I've said this a few times, and I'm not a, what is a chicken little, the sky is falling kind of, I'm not that, but I, I will say, our country is not going to last long like this. When we, when we are embracing, intentionally embracing, because society is telling us to, and we don't have a choice, I am intentionally embracing non-truth. And I'm, and I'm saying something out of my mouth that I know, and they know, and everybody knows, is not truth. But I'm saying it. I'm just saying it. That's why I, 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 told, uh, I told the girls... This is, this is my opinion. This is, I'm way out of touch, old man. But this is my opinion. Always just speak truth. Do it in love. Don't try to hurt somebody, but speak truth. Well, what if they want to be called? Just speak truth, and you let the chips fall where they fall. But when you start getting, this is my opinion, okay? When we start getting caught up and not speaking truth, not speaking truth, not speaking truth, where do you draw the line? Because you've already stepped across the line of truth. 
After that, where does it matter where the line is? If this is the line of truth and you're here somewhere, what does it matter? Say, do whatever you want. Of course, this is where my, my daughter would say, oh, dad, a little extreme there. But I said, just rob a bank. Right? Well, that's not the same thing. Is it not? You've already crossed the line of truth. Say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Because it's the belt of truth. We wrap ourselves with truth. Why? Because when evil comes, that's how we're going to win. When evil comes, that's what's going to give us the victory. He says, also put on the body armor of God's righteousness. The body armor, God, to say righteousness is the blood covering of Jesus. That's the only way you can become righteous. Okay? So you put that covering your body. You, you literally cover your body with the blood of Jesus. I, I pray this all the time. I assume many of you do the same thing. But I pray all the time, Lord, I, I plead your blood over me, over my family, over my kids, over my marriage. I plead your blood over Church of Briargate. I plead your blood over our board, over our, our, our pastors. I plead your blood, and I name you in the church. I plead your blood. Why? Because you, you, the blood covering you is the greatest gift you have from Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing you have. It's his blood covering you. That's, that's the best defense you'll ever have against anything. Because why? Satan can't get through the blood. He can get through a lot of things, but he can't get through the blood. Cover yourself with the blood. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Now, I, I can't just keep going. I'm not going into detail here. You guys know that I'm just kind of, but I have to go into a little bit of detail here. The fact that the peace of God that you put on your feet, which is the mobility of who you are, is the gospel. The gospel is your mobility, and that's where your peace lies. This is, this is one of the things that is, that is plaguing the, the Christian church more and more and more, and the younger generations are more plagued by this than ever before, is we, no peace. No peace in our spirit. No peace in our mind. That's why suicide is off the charts. Because there's no peace. Why? I, I know this. I know when I say this, there's some of you are going to say, well, you, this is always where you go to. Except I got scripture. So whatever. The reason that we lack peace in the American church is because we're not taking with our feet the gospel to people. We're not. If we take the gospel to people, it brings peace to us. It brings salvation to them, which brings peace, but it brings peace to us. But if we take our shoes off and we're not going anywhere, that means it's only about us. Our, our Christianity becomes now inward. It's not going somewhere. And there's, no, there's nothing else in Scripture that you can put shoes on. This is the only thing you can put shoes on, the gospel. Put shoes on, you're going somewhere with the gospel. You stop doing that, you take your shoes off, you're not going somewhere with the gospel, and now it becomes in-focused, and that's why we don't have peace. This is part of our, our war. Do you realize this? This is part of our battle fighting. The way you fight the battle is you take the gospel. You take the gospel. There's only so many things you can do in your lifetime that's, that's enclosed. There's only so many. I, I know I pick on this stuff. There's only so many church services and so many Bible studies you can have before you still aren't going to have peace until you get the gospel into people's lives. Get out there with the gospel, and now you begin to have peace. Now all those stories you've learned have direction and purpose, not just for you. 
Jesus didn't do all that stuff just for you. He did it so you can take it. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And I've gone over this many times, not going to go in great detail. But remember, the only thing mentioned in Scripture that Satan has as an offensive weapon are fiery darts. He doesn't have nuclear warheads. He has fiery darts. And all you have to do is hold your faith up, and those darts stop at that shield. They don't get into your spirit. They don't get into your mind. But if you drop your faith and your shield's sitting over to the side, Satan can begin to poke those darts at you. And they start taking root. They start getting hold. Just hold up your faith. Faith what? Faith in God. Faith in his power. Remember, he starts off, be strong in the Lord. That's what faith. Be strong in the Lord. And what else? In his mighty power. So my shield of faith is in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's that's where my shield is. If you're saying, well, okay, so, so what if I don't have that power in my life? What if I don't see? Get on your face before God and don't get up until you do. You say, that's overly simplistic. Yes. God makes things overly simplistic. Get on your face before God and don't get up until you feel the power of the Holy Spirit start taking over your existence. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let, let me give you a little insight here. According to 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and 15, if you're not praying in the Spirit, you probably aren't getting that power you've been thinking you're getting. He specifically says your power comes from praying in tongues. That's where your power comes from. So, what if you don't have power? Get on your face, begin to pray in the Spirit until you have power. So you have power. It's, it really is that simple. Well, how long is it going to take? I don't know. Two seconds? Two years? I don't know. But, but the question is not how long it's going to take. The question is, do you want power? That's the question. When this guy told me he, he took his daughter and he laid her on the altar, he didn't say, how long is this going to take? It was, it was his sister. But he didn't, he didn't say, how long is this going to take? He said, my sister's dying. I'm going to stay here until we get the answer. Because why? My sister's dying. It's not how long is it going to take. But in America, that's a big question. How long is it going to take? I'll throw this out here just because you brought it up. This is one of the things I get so tired. Emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, I get so tired of as a pastor. Is people saying, I don't have time. It doesn't matter what for. I don't have time. You know what I think when somebody says that to me? You're wrong. You have time. You just don't want to spend it on that. But you have time. You just don't want to do that with it. But you have time. You just don't want to do that with it. Are you following me? You have time. The same thing. Well, I don't have any money. You have money. You just don't want to do that with it. You just don't want to do that with it. You got money. Right? We can go down the line with this. I was talking to my son the other day, and he, he just put his daughter, my granddaughter, in daycare, and we we're talking about this. And um, 
I'm not against daycare, by the way, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I was just kind of talking to him and giving him a hard time, and he says, well, we don't ever see her anymore because she's at daycare all day. We see her for about an hour in the evening, and then she goes to bed. And I said, you understand that's your choice? What? That's your choice. What do you mean? You don't have to put her in daycare. Well, she has to be in daycare because Amanda's got a job now. She's teaching school. She has to have a job, and, and we got this, and I said, okay. This is, this is the trap that we all, every one of us, fall into. And this is what I was just trying to highlight for my son is, but you're choosing that. Well, Dad, we can't afford to live if she doesn't get the job with us. So, no, you can. He grew up in our household. He knows what poor looks like. He knows how poor, and I, I know I've talked about this before, and I'm not trying to say this so, so it's about me. I'm trying to say Guys, I know what poor is, and it ain't in this room. Okay? I'm not trying to pick on us. There's nobody in this room right here that is as poor as Lynn and I have been. You may have been at different times, but nobody is as poor as we've been. To the point where we, could, we couldn't afford to live in a, in a, a decent house. We drove one old beat-up car. Well, These are choices that we made. We lived in a, in a crud, crud, crud house. We drove an old piece of junk car. One car. We had one car. Why? Because we made a choice for her to be home and raise the kids. And I can't tell you how many times I wanted her to go get a job. I've had people say, well, you're a male chauvinist. This wasn't me, man. I wanted the new car. I wanted all the stuff. But I also know what it was to grow up without parents around and for her to grow up with parents around. Okay? I'm, I'm not picking on daycare. I'm not. I, I think it's fine that my granddaughter's in daycare. She's learning. She's doing all kinds of stuff. But don't say the reason is is because you have to. That's not the same thing. You don't have to. You are choosing to. And then finally at the end he said, but dad, I really want a new pickup. And there you go. Does that make him bad? No, it doesn't make him bad. He wants a new pick. I totally understand everything he's saying. But don't say you have to. Say we are choosing this route. Because you are. We're choosing this route. I see this all the time with people that are struggling financially. You realize anybody could step into your life, cut everything in half, you would still be okay, and you would have all of this extra money. No, you couldn't do it. You don't know my... I've had that conversation with so many people. Here's the thing. If you want to do this, if you want to be mad at me, let's come to my office this week, bring all your bills, and I'll show you. I'll show you. Just let me help you out before you bring your bills. We're going to cut your cable. We're going to cut your cell phone. I can't operate without a cell phone. Yes, you can. You can breathe, eat without a cell phone. But, but see, we tell us, no, I can't. But guys, we can. But we choose not to. We choose not to. If you've got kids in school, I can fix this one for you. Cut out all extracurricular activities. You'll make about a grand a month. Am I right? We can do this. We choose. Why? Because here's the deal. This is where it comes back to. At the end of the day, we don't really want to wrap the belt of truth around us. We want to wrap our truth around us. We want to wrap our life around us. 
Not reality, not truth, not reality. We want to wrap. So here's my deal is, this is why we're struggling so much with fighting spiritual battles, because we're not even in, entering into the battles with, with the right mindset, with the right truth or whatever. This isn't about God getting all glory and God being first and God taking the, the reins of our life. This is about our having our reins, our running our life, our, us doing everything, and then asking God to bless it. Now, again, I really do believe, and this is where I'm stepping outside of what I like to say, but I do believe it's truth. I do believe that God will let you operate that way, and he'll even bless your life. But it's going to be a much different life than what he had planned. But he'll let you do it. You make all your rules. You do all your stuff. The will of God is just what you choose, and then he'll bless it. And to an extent, as long as you're, as long as you're serving him, and I'm even struggling as I say this because it does not fit for me scripturally, but I believe that he'll still bless you. But you're not pursuing the Lord and you're not pursuing his power by doing that. You're not wrapping yourself with truth and covering yourself with the righteousness of God. You're not doing those things in that concept. Put on the sal salvation, put on salvation as your helmet. You recognize that salvation is, is um, protects your mind? Salvation is a thought-mind thing first. This is what I talked about for four weeks straight about being forgiven. Knowing you're forgiven is your choice. It's not something that Jesus does. He, put, he gives his blood. You ask for forgiveness, he does it. But being forgiven is your choice. You have to think that way. You have to believe that way. Salvation is something you think through. Salvation is something you accept by faith. That's a thought process. And then he embraces it into your spirit. But you've got to put salvation, it's got to be in your mind. In your mind. Put on the helmet of salvation. And then, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He doesn't actually say, swing it. <laughs> Although it's kind of implied. But he doesn't actually say, swing it. He says, now, now take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is God's Word. It's not your words. This is, this is one of the things for years I've... I've struggle with the hyper-faith name it, claim it group is Satan could care less about your words. We're all about, well, you need to say it this way, you need to do it this way, and don't let that word out of your mouth, and don't, don't breathe that word, you know, that, that, all, that stuff's all poppycock. The sword of the Spirit is God's word. You quote God's word, now you're quoting something important. Your words, God's Word. God's Word. That's the point here. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Now let's go back to the top. Pursue the Lord and His power. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Are we doing that? On all occasions, are we doing that? Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let me finish it with Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from His presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's thrones. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Do you realize this is the culmination of our battle we're fighting right now? This is where this battle is headed to. This is the victory moment for this battle. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the end result of our battle now. Don't get caught up in the, in the insignificant. Keep focused on the reality that there is a battle going on right now 
This is the end. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> My goal for this, like I said, was to set the stage. You say, okay, there is a battle. We've got to do something about this. The, the next uh, three weeks, I'm going to talk more about the, the practical side of how we do that. What are, what are we... This, this is how we're fighting when it comes to this. This is how we're fighting when it comes to this. That kind of thing. And guys, we have, to, we have to get into our spirit somewhere. And I don't know, I don't know exactly how to do this except just, just ask God to open our eyes. Lord, help me see. Help me see that I'm in a battle right now. Help me see it. Keep my eyes focused on that. Maybe make yourself little notes or reminders in your phone or something. or uh, Write some scripture down on your your card and put it on your mirror or bathroom mirror or something. I don't know how, how, keep in front of your face. I'm not fighting against my next door neighbor. Satan is trying to hurt him and me. He's trying to hurt us both. I don't know how to get, I don't know how to get us there. But if you talk to God, he knows how to get you there. So that's what we'll do. God, we, we humbly set ourselves before you. Lord God, we know that you're the king of everything. We know that you have all authority and all power. But Lord, we also recognize that you just told us from Scripture that there's a battle going on for my soul right now. For every person in here, there's a battle going on. There's a battle that's keeping entire countries in darkness. There, there is a, there's a battle being fought over America right now, and we are losing it. We are losing this war. God, and I ask you to help us to see it. Help us to see that the darkness, that the evil, that the perversion, that the murderous mentality that is controlling our country, that's coming from Satan. That's not coming from politicians. They're just tools. It's coming from Satan. Help us to see the stuff that's going on in our world and our personal life and our personal uh, family and our, our physical body that Satan is trying to destroy us. He is trying to take us out and we seem to be so easily going along with it. God, I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke this. For every person in this room, for myself, my own family, I rebuke the strongholds that Satan tries to build up. I rebuke his lies. And Lord, I, I stand on truth right now and Lord, I pray for every one of us that we will put on the belt of truth right now in our mind and our spirit. We put on truth. I'm going to embrace truth even if that offends the sensibilities of other people. I'm going to put on truth. Lord, I pray that we don't do it in, in anger. I pray that we don't do it in attack or, or some kind of uh, uh, revenge. Lord, I pray that your body, the body of Christ, the church, will put on truth. Lord, I pray that, we'll, that we be, be people that will pray in the Spirit at all times, on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit while we're driving to work. Pray in the Spirit while we're at work. Pray in the Spirit while we're sitting in the break room talking to people. Praying in the Spirit in our mind, deep in our spirits. Praying in the, in the Holy Spirit. 
And then, Lord, you will empower us. You will empower us to break through the, the sanitized Christianity that we've allowed to build up. To break through. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, cover us with your blood. Every person in this room, cover us with your blood. Cover us with your blood. Cover our families with your blood. Cover us with your blood. In Jesus' name. Cover us with your blood. And Lord, we will pursue you. We will pursue you in Jesus' name. God, I pray for every one of us here that this week that, that you will set up circumstances in our lives that will, that will draw our attention to the spiritual battle, that will keep our eyes focused on the spiritual battle. It will draw our attention to this. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for our, our two pastors in India. Cover them with your blood, Jesus. Cover them with your blood and help them to fight the spiritual fight that you've got before them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I leave it with you. Do something to figure out how to keep your mind focused on the reality of the battle. Do that. Somehow do that. And... Um, I think you'll see things differently when you begin to do that. All right, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to reach literally into the enemy's camp and tell somebody that Jesus is the answer to their life. Take that opportunity. Take that, and God will honor that. That's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. We're continuing with our, our, our Francis Chan study. We'll see you then. Have a great rest of your afternoon.